welcome to Wrestling at Random. I'm Jeremy Deemer. And I am Adam Summers. And it is season four, somehow, of Wrestling at Random. We've survived. We've made it through the first three seasons. If you're listening in linear fashion, we made it through episode one of season four. And as we've done in previous seasons, particularly in season three, everything is in the mix here in season four. Pay-per-views, weekly television, big cards, whatever you can think of, it's in the mix. And not only that, the randomizer is bursting at the seams. More has been dumped in than ever before. And that, uh, that has led us to even more wrestling to be able to watch. That's right. Every week we fire up the randomizer. It randomly chooses a show for us to watch. And uh, sometimes it's a pay-per-view, like uh, week one of uh, season four. We watched a TNA pay-per-view. I did what not, a pay-per-view. I did not bring enough, I did not bring enough bourbon <laughs> to uh, get me through the TNA show. Uh, but here, much more relaxed, uh, much more enjoyable. This was a an hour television program. The program we're talking about nwa pro wrestling from october 8th 1988 so the, i would uh, i would say this definitely falls into the proof of concept or proving that this show is in fact random we'll get into this like this is an enjoyable hour of television but it is one of those shows that if someone was faking the randomizer and coming up with different shows to watch you would never in a million years have picked this show so yes the randomizer uh, to paraphrase Seinfeld is both real and spectacular. Yeah, this uh, this episode, October eighth, nineteen eighty eight, is the day before my ninth birthday. There <laughs> so, you go. Uh, yeah, so uh, the day before my ninth birthday, this show aired, and the the difference here, the NWA Pro Wrestling show. The difference with this show is that uh, not a studio show. This is no. from an arena. So a totally different vibe than the normal World Championship Wrestling studio shows we'd see from TBS. Yeah, I would say it's somewhat similar in vibe to the uh, worldwide show that we reviewed. Well, yeah. I guess technically it was only one uh, one match on that show because it was the entire episode. The Ric Flair, Barry Windham, NWA World Title Match from 1987. Which, which I believe we- is episode one of the bonus content that it is yeah if you're not a patreon subscriber or subscriber through your apple podcast feed that bonus content is waiting for you right now you could hear us recap rick flair versus barry windham for the world title from worldwide back in episode one but uh, what a match and and what a podcast that was the to me the only difference really um between this and that episode of worldwide and i feel like if i'm going back in my memory of being a seven-year-old watching the nwa religiously as i did back then uh, that pro at least then didn't have quite as many marquee matches as worldwide did it almost it, it was not a studio show but the format of the show felt much more like a studio show that happened to be taking place in an arena uh you know than a worldwide wrestling where you usually got you know at least one relatively marquee match obviously that Flair Wyndham match was an aberration, um, but yeah, it, it it definitely has a different feel being in an arena with you know an arena crowd. Yeah, and a lot of the um, you know I 
I mix up my experience watching NWA Pro Wrestling with Main Event with Worldwide, right? Like those those shows kind of all run together for me. Uh, they don't stand well, out as much. Also, as in Chicago, we had starting in I believe 1990, maybe it was even 89, but I believe it was in in 1990. We had a special version of WCW Pro called w, WCW Pro Chicago, which aired on WGN. Uh, most of the time, it was just Tony Schiavone on the call. They would do kind of Chicago-specific cut-ins. It was commentary that was specifically done for that show where you get a lot of local Chicago sports references from Tony Schiavone. And we even had a Jack Brickhouse segment uh, the legendary former Chicago Cubs announcer and, and a million other things, including pro wrestling. But there's the Brick House bonus where he would opine about wrestling of yesteryear. So that was another thing to throw into the mix. Uh, it was funny, though, as I was watching this, I had the same thought you did, just kind of remembering, like, my God, the NWA slash WCW had so many shows back then. They were all a little bit different, and they were all kind of presented as being at a similar level. None of them were really like a B show where you didn't see a Ric Flair promo or you didn't get a Sting squash match. I mean, we see those things here on this show. You would get that on the TBS show on Saturday. You'd get stuff like that on the Power Hour, on Main Event, on Worldwide. It, you know, it, it was quite the suite of television they had back then. Yeah, a lot of syndicated shows here and uh, uh, mostly all on the weekends, Saturdays and Sundays. Yes. So. Oh, yeah. And mostly, I mean, out you had... Uh, Saturday night or just world championship wrestling, as it was known, you know, in our time zone, central time zone, five Oh five, you had main event the same time, the following night, five Oh five. You had the power hour, which was a late night show. Then that went to being, I believe either six Oh five or five Oh five in the morning on Saturdays. Cause I remember waking up super early to watch those. And then you had these syndicated shows Saturday, Sunday morning. Yeah. I, I mentioned it uh, in the, World Championship Wrestling episode we reviewed uh, here in the free feed that uh, uh, it's how I learned time zones was <laughs> yes, was yes. Uh, because I, I I'd ask my parents six oh five Eastern five oh five Central what time is this show on and and, <laughs> and I was educated that uh, we are in the Central time zone here so it's minus one hour from the Eastern time so it was I, also amusing the the O five starts. On TBS, like as a kid, I thought that was like a real thing and not just a TBS thing. And so that always, you know, kind of threw me off. Kind of like I think I've told the story on the podcast before, but how when I was very young and, you know, you had Jim Neidhart and Brett the Hitman Hart, they were tag team partners and they were presented as being cousins, I believe, uh, in storyline. And so I, as a young child, thought that Nied in front of your last name meant that that was your you were the other person's cousin again completely <laughs> illogical but as like a four-year-old that's what that meant in my mind gotta love wrestling well this wrestling show opens with your united states champion barry windham and he's calling out sting he's out there with jj dylan and uh jj dylan's making fun of sting he's beating his chest this promo is great. Are you playing this? Or I is am this not. not. No, no. Okay. Gonna... Well, I, good thing I took notes then because J.J. Dillon was at his best here. Uh, 
First, we have Barry Windham, you know, saying he's always defended the U.S. title. If Sting wants a shot, he needs to just show up instead of sucking down a beer, celebrating a win over nobody, which I thought was a good line. Then J.J. jumps in and just screams, you're inept at, at Sting, even though Sting isn't out there. Uh, he's freaking out. He's beating his chest. He says that Sting is, quote, sassy and cocky, unquote. And how Sting howls to an empty parking lot after shows. And as he's ranting about Sting, uh, we just hear JJ yell, holy, and then he trails <laughs> off as he moves away from the microphone. So and and uh, Sting, at that moment, hits the ring and attacks Wyndham to a huge ovation from the crowd. Sting is popular, and uh, this, was, uh, this was a great way Hot way to start the show. And we cut to Bob Cottle and Jim Ross, who welcome yes. us to the arena. Yeah, well, just to kind of put a bow on that, Sting does make physical contact yeah. with Barry Windham. He he starts punching him. He hits a big back body drop. And so we've got a, a hot open to this show. I mean, it's a cold open in the sense that we just go straight to the ring. But this is a significant development here right at the beginning of Worldwide. And Really, it will be the most significant thing that happens on the show as we go through. But a really cool, fun way to start. And then, as you said, uh, we get the open. And we have Jim Ross and Bob Caudill. And this makes me so happy because Jim Ross is, you know, this era of Jim Ross, for my money, the best play-by-play guy in the history of pro wrestling. Just tremendous in every conceivable way. And then Bob Caudill is just the warmest, kindest, (laughs) most legitimately joy-filled borderline elderly man you'll ever hear um he really in so many ways and i think we've talked about this before on on a pay-per-view that he did color commentary on he really is AEW dynamite tony shivani on this show he's just the guy that's been around forever still loves pro wrestling and is in awe of everything he's like a, he's a more polished and more likable, uh, warmer version of David Crockett is the way I would describe his commentary here. Yeah, and then we see him, you know, occasionally in some of the older mid South or uh, mid Atlantic episodes, and yes. uh, he's a totally fine play by play guy oh. in those episodes. Yeah, well, so. which was a bit of a revelation, I think, for both of us. If you didn't get mid Atlantic TV or you didn't watch it a whole lot compared to some of the other territories, your idea of what Bob Caudill was is much more of what we have here than what we saw in that Mid-Atlantic show. And he did a great job there, which I believe that, was that in season two or season three? I think we've had a couple, but uh, nowhere near as many as friend of the show, Mike Sempervivi, has done <laughs> over at the Mid-Atlantic pod. If yes. you want to do a deeper dive there, highly recommend that show. A great podcast and an even better Twitter account, dare I say. Absolutely. Um Bob Cottle and Jim Ross tell us that Bam Bam Bigelow will make his NWA debut on this show, which I'm excited for. I'm a huge fan of Bam Bam Bigelow. I definitely was at this point. Uh, you know, I, I earlier in this calendar year of 1988, uh, back in uh, March or April of '88, when uh, the WrestleMania Four took place, uh, Bam Bam Bigelow was in that tournament and uh, he was one of my favorites him and uh, Ricky Steamboat and the Macho Man loved uh loved me some Bam Bam Bigelow so uh yeah definitely How could you excited. not 
as a kid. I mean, obviously as an adult as well, but as a kid, here comes this big, heavy guy that flies around the ring. He's got flames tattooed on his head. His gear is just a giant fire bodysuit. It's great. Uh, yeah. He, he absolutely jumped off the screen uh, as a kid, even in this era of larger than life characters. Uh, I thought it was interesting. And maybe this is just like a sign of the times. And this was, you know, the conservative mid to late eighties, but Bob Cottle kept going so hard on how bizarre of an individual uh, Bam Bam Bigelow was. And to me, that's, that's reserved for your like undertaker or your mankind, like your borderline creepy supernatural type of character. I don't know that I would describe Bam Bam Bigelow as bizarre. He's no. just a big, mean, scary looking dude. So I, I, he, and he kept going in on that. So I was, I was amused a bit by that. The other thing that I found somewhat amusing at the open is that Bob Cottle tells us there are questions about the physical condition of Jimmy Garvin. Jim Ross then basically says that Jimmy Garvin is day to day. This is the only and last time we will hear anything about Jimmy Garvin or his physical condition. The rest of the show. He's in a cast too or a, a boot something. or something. Yeah. So I'm guessing that something happened on last week's episode of this TV show. So they felt the need to reference it, but it wasn't important enough to recap anymore, bring up, talk about what was going to happen. It just kind of sat there and was not mentioned the rest of the show. We cut to Tony Schiavone, who's there to interview the world's champion, the nature boy, Ric Flair. This promo, I will go ahead and cut in. Thank you very much, Jim Ross, Bob Cottle. We are with the world heavyweight champion. As you know, the world champion, the U.S. champion, Barry Windham, together as members of the Four Horse Movement. Now, when you talk about the total package, Lex Luger, he has a friend of his Let's own. By the name by of First of all, you're talking about Barry Windham and Ric Flair. You clearly are talking about... The two best wrestlers in the world today. <laughs> Bottom line, Barry Windham, Ric Flair, James Dillon. That is a dynasty unto its own. Nothing else makes it go. We are it. I am your world's heavyweight champion, Barry Windham, the U.S. Heavyweight champion, and together we represent the elite and the greatest sport in the world. Now, Sting, <laughs> my friend, you have made the mistake of walking that aisle and sticking your nose in my business once again. Think back, Sting. Last time you got in my business, you got hurt. You paid the price. Luger and Ric Flair have got their own thing. Stay out of it. But, pal, if you want to get with Luger, you want a tag team match, you want a hot building on a hot night anywhere in the world, put it on a contract. Because Barry Windham, Ric Flair, the four horsemen, James Dillon, we are the dynasty in this sport. And as I've said before, whether you like it or you don't like it, learn to love it. Woo! Because it is the best thing going today. Woo! 
the world champion, the Nature Boy. Let's go back to the ring. And that's, uh, yeah, Ric Flair. Well, the sad <laughs> on, thing is on that this he... show, like, but he, he, you know, that, that's that, like you mentioned, uh, having the world's champion make an appearance on the show uh, gives it a, uh, a, a bigger vibe when it's just a bunch of squash matches. Yeah, it gives it a feel of importance. I, if I had to guess, and I don't know for sure, I would imagine that both pro and worldwide were probably taped during the same tapings because you would have to have a show that had some bigger matches on it. I would assume to get a crowd and also, you know, to, for it to be necessary for Ric Flair to be there. Uh, it is sad, however, that the audio that you presented to the listeners cannot convey uh, the magnificence of Tony Schiavone's late 1988 mustache. <laughs> no, it is. Uh, it's a fantastic. look as the kids say. <laughs> We go to the ring for our first in-ring action of the show. It's Larry Stevens taking on Sting. And uh, Sting, very popular. People love them some Sting. It's Rat Tail era Sting, by the way, where it's the near end of the Rat Tail era slash like the blonde dyed hair, but then the bottom part isn't dyed. Um, it's also, if you're overly pedantic as I am about gear, it's that era of sting gear where he has the sort of, it's not a belt around the top of the tights, but there's the different color around the top of the tights, um, which went away pretty much, I would say, by we by the time we got into 1989. So this is still early sting. It's a very quick squash match. Like he literally just hits a singer splash. Well, no, no. First, before the stinger splash, he backs Stevens in the corner and then hits some chest strikes. Yeah. So he's he's hitting him with his chest and yes. then sends him to the corner. Stinger splash puts on the scorpion deathlock and it's over less than a minute for sure. Those are basically like short stinger splashes <laughs> in the corner. Those chest bumps before he hits the actual stinger splash, scorpion deathlock, and gets the win. The thing that is very notable to me is that. Like, it's not like Sting, even in 90 or 91, was a great promo. It was later in his career when he became a really, really good promo. But he was much better than he would be here. He was still trying to figure out who he was as a character. If you remember, there was, wasn't there an NWA uh, studio show that we reviewed where he cut this weird promo where he was going in and out of, like, California surfer voice? Yeah. He was still doing that a little bit here. And the other thing was that he had not quite decided how he was going to do his version of the woo scream yell thing that he would you know would become his signature years later here he does it but it's like mixed with this hyena cackle yeah it's, it's more of just very like a, strange a, almost like a scream than uh than than the how that he would do it was before. like, a, like a scream laugh it it didn't work he was no. he's clearly workshopping things still uh, at this point, but again, we talk about guys jumping out of the TV screen, oh, seeing even 100%. in 1988, just, you know, incredible charisma and just physical presence. He talked about teaming up with Lex Luger. They had won the Crockett Cup and uh, Lex Luger and Sting were going to team up to take on the Four Horsemen incarnation of Ric Flair and Barry Windham. Yeah, that's kind of the theme throughout this show. And again, this is still, even though we're in the late 80s, this is still the era of weekly TV more building up what you might see in your arena, in your town uh, at a house show rather than building up a pay-per-view. Uh, but the idea throughout this is, yes, Ric Flair 
and Barry Windham, who are the horsemen, but there are not four horsemen right now because Arn and Tully have left to go to the WWF. So they're calling them the horsemen, but I noticed several times in that Ric Flair promo that you played earlier, he also called called themselves the dynasty. Uh, and while that was not like an official name, you could tell they were still trying to figure out what direction they were going to go with the horsemen of J.J. Dillon, Barry Windham, and Ric Flair without having a third and fourth horseman and really not knowing yet how they were going to get there. The next match is The Nightmare taking on Dr. Death, Steve Williams. It is not Cody Rhodes under it, that mask. It is not. Uh, I, is it Danny Davis? I, I, I don't think it is either. So uh, this no, is just a this random is, well, nightmare here. Well, this may be 1988 NWA. The number of jobbers <laughs> or guys who should be jobbers in masks and lame gear uh, is much more reminiscent of, I believe it was actually October 1989 Continental. Continental, yeah. This is, all the all the jobbers had masks on, yes. And uh, yes. the nightmare They, they no clearly exception. had access to a gym, which the Continental jobbers didn't. Ooh, but no. otherwise. Yeah, these, these jobbers <laughs> were, uh, you know, we like our jobbers to be uh, uh, out of shape, Pathetic. untrained, and, uh, and, and wearing ill-fitting gear. And uh, here... As I like to call them spandex clad bags of milk yes and and here these guys these guys were just like inexperienced actual wrestlers yes. so it wasn't you could bad. believe that some of these guys could have gone on to be somebody like it, it's marginally believable where absolutely not the case with those guys from continental kevin sullivan the games master the taskmaster uh he's he's at ringside looking to add a new member to the varsity club roster and he's scouting dr death for that spot not the nightmare not a big varsity career for the nightmare no. uh, dr death uh in this squash here with a takedown he's showing off a half nelson he's doing some amateur wrestling here uh playing into the uh into the varsity club uh, recruiting gimmick here the most noteworthy thing about this match isn't really the action in the ring it's the foreshadowing of the surprise of dr death steve williams eventually joining the varsity club in that both bob Cottle and jim ross are adamant that dr death steve williams is not the type of guy that would ever join forces with someone as dastardly and diabolical as kevin sullivan yeah, and and in hindsight, he's a perfect fit. He puts on oh. the OU the the Oklahoma Letterman's jacket and he's singlet. right there. Yeah, and the singlet this is it's a no-brainer he's going to join. But yeah, JR was very adamant that Dr. Death yes. would never do such a thing. Uh, I was he, disappointed that Bob Caudle didn't call Kevin Sullivan a bizarre individual. That that's that a would bizarre have been individual. Far far more Very appropriate so. yeah. than what we had here. The highlight of this this brief match, granted, it wasn't as brief as that sting squash uh, in the previous segment, but was it was the running drop kick from Doctor Death Steve Williams. Can't say I expected that one. No, the running drop kick got a big reaction from me. Uh, he then. Grabs him, hits the running power slam, also known as the Oklahoma Stampede. For this the bothered victory. me because they called it the Oklahoma Stampede. But my understanding and recollection of this move is that for it to be the Oklahoma Stampede, you need to run your opponent into the turnbuckles 
while in the power slam position and then go running back to the middle of the ring and hit the stampede. Um, I don't know. Maybe this is an early incarnation of what they call the Oklahoma stampede. Dr. Death is with Bob Cottle and Bob Cottle asks him flat out, are you the new member of the varsity club? And Dr. Death says that Sullivan wants him because he's about to become the television champion. You were doing so much better of a job in this promo than Dr. Death, Steve Williams did. And God love him. One of my favorite wrestlers of all time. I did capture the last line because the last line is where it really falls apart. But yeah, the last line, he goes, uh, I will carry that belt and everyone will be proud of me. And throws his hands up and 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 walks away. Okay, I'm like, he threw, okay. He, he threw his hands up as though legitimately realizing, wow, I was not able to come up with a line that I was trying to come up with, and I settled on this. Like it's you know not you're on good. a date and you you're you're trying to impress the person that you're you're going out with, and it's going well, and then you can feel yourself just saying something really dumb, not like offensive, but just dumb, like. Why would I tell this amazingly attractive person about the 300 wrestling figures that I have in my bedroom at home? Why would I say this? But it just comes <laughs> out. And as you say it, you realize, wow, I can't take that back. That is the look that was on Dr. Death Steve Williams' face here. Uh, he also said that he invented the varsity club, which was odd and confusing. Uh, yeah, this this was a blinking red light uh, screaming to get this man a manager. And now it's time for the debut of Bam Bam Bigelow with his manager, your favorite Adam, Sir Oliver Humperdink is here. And now, can uh, you can you remind me the previous show that we did? Again, I can't remember whether it was on the free feed. I think it was on the free feed. Maybe it was on the bonus feed. But it was that maybe it was a Coliseum Home videotape. I'm drawing a blank on which show it was. But it was the introduction of Bam Bam Bigelow into the WWF and all yes. the managers were vying for his services. They were it was was one it of the not... best. It was one of the best TV. It was on a prime time yes. when they, uh, they recapped that yes. build up where it was on every television show. Every manager was they're like, all courting him. Slick, I'm, I'm Bobby him, Heenan, yeah, they all were going to get him. Yep. And then and he wasn't it going, Oliver Humperdinck. He went with hump in so WWF. So not only did he go with Oliver Humperdinck in WWF, the future big daddy dink, took him all the way to the national wrestling alliance i i was shocked here i had no recollection of this uh in the nwa uh, babyface bam bam bigelow being managed by oliver humperdinck the other odd thing to me about this was jim ross was doing ring announcing for this match for some reason from the broadcast table which was <laughs> odd like he was introducing him and it was in the it was as an announcer but it was being piped through uh, to the main crowd, uh, to the crowd actually in the uh, in the arena. Also notable in that it's kind of, if you're not familiar with the NWA, I would say in some ways it's the NWA's answer to like a Barry Horowitz or a, a you know, when Pez Watley was sort of an upper tier jobber or like a Jim Powers uh, in the WWF. It's George South. Yes, George South is that... Uh... Would you put Bob Cook in the George South oh. tier of jobbers? Uh, uh, I would. I, yeah. I mean, Bob Cook has the best right hand in the history of professional wrestling. Um, but George South, just a, you know, a, a great jobber heel that also had sort of, you know, a successful indie career 
um, you know, in a, a regional career, but he's one of those guys. We'll see another one later in the Italian Stallion. Like George South and the Italian Stallion, I feel like we're on every NWA TV show back then, much like you go maybe three, four years later and, and Mark Starr was always that guy on NWA, WCW, or I guess on WCW TV at that time that you knew was better than the other jobbers but still couldn't get a win. Uh, that was George South. Bam Bam starts with a cartwheel and a drop kick, and he's hitting all the high spots right right away. Immediately making uh, Dr. Death look bad by comparison, hitting a cartwheel into a drop kick. So we have two big man drop kicks here on this 1988 television show. And then in 1988 television show, we have Bam Bam throwing a super kick, which uh, yes. <laughs> which we've got a little graphic in the corner uh, if you're watching on the YouTube right now of, uh, yeah, Bam Bam hitting a super kick on George South. And then he hits an enziguri, uh like, Beautiful enziguri. This is perfect. And, uh, and then a vertical suplex. He's holding him there, but instead of dropping back, he goes face first instead. Art Anderson style gourd buster here is the finish for Bam Bam Bigelow. Uh, the 396 pound <laughs> Bam Bam Bigelow. I always get a chuckle when I hear the the worked weights of wrestlers uh, from back when I was watching wrestling as a kid. Like anybody who was not uh, like in great jacked shape was always over 300 pounds. That was the starting line for anyone with like more than 2% body fat. I love Bam Bam Bigelow. And uh, I watch this here. And anyone who watches this, how could Bam Bam not be one of your favorite wrestlers? Oh. Like after you watch this. Uh, great in ring. Just a, in a weird career uh, yes. for Bam Bam. Uh, we, we covered a couple of his uh, All Japan appearances as well. Um, had and, a big, had, had a, a very good career in New Japan. I yeah. mean, you know, Crusher Bam Bam Bigelow teaming with Big Van Vader. IWGP Tag Team Champions. He had big wins over big stars in New Japan at a time where foreigners didn't really get those wins. So he he was a guy right out of the gate, you know that that had something. Went a lot of places. You always kind of thought that he should have been a bigger deal than he was almost everywhere. Uh, his run in ECW was perfect. Like you think of a a big star that had been around for a while that then ended up having a big run in ECW. I can't think of a guy that was a better fit for that promotion and for that role uh, than the, I guess it was probably a year or two that we got out of Bam Bam Bigelow there. So yeah, uh, uh, an no, interesting career yeah. and I never mind seeing him here on this show. No, I mean, we, we saw him on that ECW show and uh, yeah, the going the through the ring the triple threat. Yeah. And we, we, we saw all that angle and, and that was great. Him and uh, Taz. He was great in everything that he did, uh, but always like, came in to big fanfare in the u.s and would flame out pun intended yes. uh everywhere he went and then uh but had the great run in, in japan had a great run in ecw uh but uh yeah never never the world's champion never got that big push. No. Uh, well i think to to sort of compare him to to a, a modern tv wrestler that maybe some of the younger listeners or viewers would would you know would resonate with in some ways he kind of reminds me of eddie kingston and granted he hits the big time sooner a lot sooner than eddie kingston and not saying they're similar uh, in terms of their style but just guys that a lot of times they would admit it themselves eddie kingston does were their own worst enemies 
backstage and that ended up keeping them from getting you know to the place that otherwise they maybe would have uh, the other thing i want to touch on it doesn't have anything to do with bam bam bigelow but it is a fashion corner it's not for a wrestler it's for the ring this for my money is the most beautiful setup for a wrestling ring at least for a north american promotion this is the green with blue accent apron for the NWA with the NWA sort of like cable logo going down the side. I love that. I just think it's such a great look and it's classic. so different. Yeah. It's classic and it's not just the the black or the dark blue apron. Uh, it, it actually, it's very identifiable. You know immediately where you are and what you're watching. Jim Cornette is out for his Louisville Slugger interview segment. What was with the production of this? So- he comes out... And for the first 30 to 40 seconds, he is in total darkness. Like, you see lights. They're not pointed toward him. It's this faraway camera shot. It's awful and looks so low rent. But that looks great compared to (laughs) the the most uncomfortable, odd-looking chairs I have ever seen in my life. They've got this huge, like, rounded back, but the actual seats are so narrow. I have no idea how these men actually sat in these chairs, how Jim Cornette and Oliver Humperdinck sat in these chairs. They're so narrow. And then they're this, like, wicker rattan uh, sort of deal. It's just, it's incomprehensible that these were used on television, even in 1988. I don't care. What no, was set on, the, on the store, like on the floor at Pier One Imports in 1988? Doesn't ridiculous. matter. This is just horrific. We did get to hear the classic Midnight Express theme song. Yeah, edited off of this uh, viewing that we saw, and I love that so good. That made me very, very happy. Uh, so Hump says that him and Cornette are not friends. Uh, Cornette calls Bigelow a bodyguard. For Humperdinck, but he says no, he's no bodyguard. He's looking for every title he can get his hands on. And he's got a partner in mind that will team up with Bigelow to go against the Midnight Express. Cornette tries to kick him out. The Midnight Express come out to back up Jim Cornette. Uh, th- there was a lot of um, people trying to form teams and partners because we discover along the way that the United States tag team titles are now vacant and there will be a tournament for those titles later. Yes. And and the whole thing with this, this interview segment is it's Jim Cornette giving backhanded compliments to Oliver Humperdinck, calling him old, uh, all these different things, but doing it in a way that he doesn't think Humperdinck is going to pick up on it, but he does. This was fine. Uh, I've seen better Jim Cornette interview segments. Uh, Granted, he didn't have a whole lot to work with here. Oliver Humperdinck is just, to use your language, a total zero. Zero, yes. We will see, though, a manager coming up who is (laughs) like a negative five if Oliver Humperdinck is a zero. One of my least favorite TV characters uh, from this time period. We'll get to it. Actually, I believe it's the it's the very next segment. Which, by the way, we go to this next segment, and this must have been really late in like a five hour or six hour marathon taping because the crowd has really thinned out. Like you can see swaths of empty spots on the bleachers uh, opposite the hard camera. 
the Russian Assassins with Paul Jones, who the manager that you were describing, uh, Paul Jones. It's Paul Jones. He's not out there in the Jerry Seinfeld puffy shirt. He instead is out there dressed like a cowboy and he has a mustache. Why? I am only entertained when Paul Jones does an incomprehensible promo. <laughs> that is always entertaining, but just like, him at ringside is a zero. Yeah. No, his promo, I mean, it's entertaining, but it's entertaining for all the wrong reasons. Because it's you're, bad. It, not because it's any good. No. Not because it's drawing any money or doing anything of uh, adding anything of value other than me laughing at a guy who's uh, crazy at his promo. He's, he's a manager who is so bad at being a manager that he would need another manager to not be bad on television. Like he needs another manager to cut his promos for him when that's supposed to be his job. I, I will never understand Paul Jones existence. Uh, I mean, it's, it's fine because he's just, he's a jobber, a a man. He's a jobber manager, managing glorified jobbers. Um, I guess he's sort of the, uh, the smart Mark Sterling of 1988. Do you know who the Russian assassins are? Uh, well, I know they're not no. Ivan and Nikita Koloff. They are because not. They are no. feuding with Ivan and Nikita Koloff. This is somewhat of a, uh, I guess you would have called this a groundbreaking storyline in 1988 in that it's evil Russians against good Russians. <laughs> against you good didn't Russians. really see that often. And I don't think any of them are actually Russian. <laughs> yes, the... The, the bad Russians, the Russian assassins, are uh, Jack Victory wow. under the mask and David Sheldon, who would wrestle as the Angel of Death. Wow, it's really funny because the Angel of Death popped into my head when I was trying to think of guys from this era that would have actually been bizarre characters <laughs> for, for Bob Caudle to mention. I can see one of them being the Angel of Death. Just... The idea that either of these men were Jack Victory, given Jack Victory's body type, even like a year or two later uh, as part of the royal family with Rip Morgan, much less later on in his career. That's wow. I would not have expected that. Their opponents are the Italian Stallion, who we mentioned earlier, and Joe Cruz. Now, the Koloffs do an inset promo here, Ivan and Nikita Koloff. Where they... Love it. I love Ivan Koloff on these shows, cutting promos with Nikita. Remember that awesome training video yes. with Nikita? Where <laughs> with Nikita like throwing Russian sickle clotheslines at, was it Ric Flair's head? Uh, yeah, taped on a, to on a, a heavy bag. Yeah, Taped to a heavy bag in this darkened room. Such a great uh, promo, uh, great visual uh, you know, from a, a promotion that wasn't necessarily known for doing those sorts of visual presentations. This inset promo is just, uh, you know, it's it's Ivan thanking Nikita for saving him. He's talking about the, the, the Russians. They accomplish their goals, but they do it without dignity. They'll suffer for this. And then he calls them treacherous man, which I love. Yeah, so apparently Paul Jones was the manager of the Koloffs. He was Ivan Koloff. Well, sorry, he was Ivan Koloff's manager. And... Uh, Paul Jones recruited the two masked Russian assassins to feud with Nikita. However, the the assassins and Jones turned on Ivan Koloff after he lost a Russian chain match to Ricky Morton at Clash of the Champions 3. 
And now a baby face, Ivan Koloff, reunites with his nephew, Nikita, to feud with these assassins. So this is a, an early baby face, Nikita Koloff. I mean, I guess they dabbled with that um, here and there. But yeah, it's just so weird to see. It's really weird, more so than baby face Nikita Koloff. Good guy, Ivan Koloff. Yeah, baby is face really, Ivan really, really odd. It's really strange. Yeah, so the assassins beat him down, not very spectacular fashion in doing so. The the assassin, no. one of them loads up his mask with a weapon, hits a headbutt for the win. I do love when heels cheat for no reason because they're in control, yes. beating up jobbers. There's no need to cheat, but they cannot they help themselves. They can't help themselves. So. They're just that detestable of human beings. They are, to quote a great man, they are treacherous men. <laughs> that this was a, they are. Them demonstrating that. I also loved how one of the uh, one of the nightmares or the assassins, whatever these guys were. I'm going to I'm going to assume with the knowledge that I have now that this was. The Jack Victory assassin, he hits what I would call the lazy man's double arm suplex, where you do the double arm suplex, but you do not go down to the mat with your opponent. It's like the Greg the Hammer Valentine suplex, where he doesn't actually take a bump. He just drops the guy, which I guess would be a like a body slam version of a jackhammer instead of the power slam jackhammer, you know, the actual jackhammer where you go down with your opponent. Um, I was amused by that. I was hoping actually you were going to tell me that this is Greg Valentine subbing for one of the uh, one of the assassins. We've had a real good run here, Adam, of the randomizer not giving me any Greg the Hammer <laughs> Valentine. And shockingly, given the proliferation of Greg the Hammer Valentine throughout the 70s, 80s, and even into the 90s, we had a lot of them in the first two seasons. There's been nary a Greg Valentine sighting in yeah. months. Well, now you've said his name three times, and now the, now he's going <laughs> to appear, and the randomizer is going to it's it's going to show up here, and I'm going to be pissed because it's your he's fault. He's going to come through for people that may be watching. If you're watching this on video, he's going to come through both of our doors at the <laughs> same time, even though we are in different buildings. Oh, Greg. Oh. I, I, that's a different it, it, if you want to hear about our dis disdain uh for greg the hammer valentine uh as a pro wrestler go ahead and uh listen to any of season one two and three uh well, we definitely to touch be on clear i find him to be somewhat boring you oh. find him to be the most boring offensively bad professional wrestler of all time the human intermission yes and yes but that's for we'll save that for uh, the next podcast that he shows up on next time i spin this randomizer and he shows up i'm gonna be it's your fault you we were on a good run get, and you had to get a greg valentine hitting streak coming up i i, I feel it <laughs> barry windham and jj dylan are back they're interviewed by tony shivani Wyndham has with him that gorgeous U.S. title. That NWA U.S. title belt is one of my favorites. It looks great here. He uh, also, Barry himself, looks a bit more like polished and slick in terms of visual presentation than you usually get with him. He wasn't like full Ric Flair suits, but he's kind of got a bit of like a late 80s cool vibe to him, which isn't something you normally associate with Barry Wyndham. You think of him more as the, uh, you know, the tall, tough cowboy type. As as cool as a tall cowboy with a French braid for his hair uh, <laughs> yes. can actually look. That was very uh, impressive. Yeah. Very impressive. It looked to be impeccably done. I, the best thing about this promo by far is when 
he completely nonsensically says when referring to Lex, he calls him Fatso Luger. <laughs> no. Great. Incorrect. Also, uh, in this promo, J.J. Dillon says that Ric Flair has held the world title for seven years. Is this true? I don't believe Ric Flair was in the midst of a seven-year title reign at this point. No, he definitely was not because he didn't win until 83 from yes, early race. exactly, so. exactly. All right, Dick Murdoch taking on David Isley. And of the famous Isley brothers. He is not. And uh, Dick Murdoch is back here in the uh, in the NWA. He's kind of got that mercenary vibe where he just shows up. People hire him to join their team. And then he yes. beats people up and then he goes away. Just shows up. He's Dick Murdoch for three weeks. And then he moves on to the next promotion or territory uh, or country. Um, also, I found interesting. And I'd love to know what this reveal was next week. As Jim Ross says that Jim Crockett will have a huge announcement next week about a major star coming to the NWA. Do we know who this is? We don't. Uh, I did not look it up. Um, I mean, the, it's the wrong year for it to be the Ding Dongs. It is the wrong year. That would be the early '90s. Yeah, no, this is. Uh, yeah, I don't. I don't know who that would be. Um, Unless it was, uh, was it, did Ricky Steamboat return around this time? Um, Maybe. I, I guess this would have been late 88. So possibly I'd have to, I'd have to go back and look. I mean, it's, the timeline is about the only person I could think of that would make sense. Uh, we also have Bob Cottle, I thought, hinting very strongly that Junkyard Dog was going to be coming yeah. into team with Dick Murdoch. But then that's seems to be dropped minutes later because everything, coming out of this match, which there's not much. It's, you know, Dick Murdoch doing cool Dick Murdoch things. He locks on a Fujiwara armbar. He hits a nasty brain buster. Then he's cutting a promo ringside with Dusty Rhodes, and the Texas Outlaws are back together as baby faces. A couple of things I did want to talk about in this match, though. Dick Murdoch does take him outside and hit him with a chair for no yes. reason. Uh, outside, I always love Dick he's Murdoch. He's ragdolling the Isley brother. And then back inside, uh, that brain buster was a long delayed yes. brain buster uh, before killing Mr. Isley with it. And Bob Cottle interviews Dusty Rhodes and Dick Murdoch, like you mentioned. And uh, and and here they are talking about the that upcoming U.S. tag team title tournament. Dusty Rhodes, Captain Redneck, Dick Murdoch. Dick, we've been talking about the Mid-South, the Mid-South area, and that all of the friends of you and the Dream here going to be a, have a chance to see you back in the Mid-South pretty soon. Well, let's go one thing quick, Bob Cottle. You know, Psycho Herbert Coleman of Canyon, Texas said, with Dusty Rhodes and Dick Murdoch back together, the original Texas Outlaws, there is not a tag team combination safe in the world today. And we are going to make a swing through the Mid-South. I'm talking about Little Rock, Baton Rouge, Greenwood. New Orleans, Pat O'Brien's in Bourbon Street. And some of the greatest wrestling fans in the world are down there. There's been a lot of history made that part of the United States. And I'll guarantee you what, Gary Hart, Kevin Sullivan, Al Perez, and the rest of you, and those dog-collar matches or whether it's tag team combinations, Dick Murdoch is going to be right there along with Dusty Rhodes. I'll guarantee you what, there's going to be pandemonium and mayhem break loose, and we are going to be chaos and part of it. Well, I know you're ready, Dusty, now. Ready. I'm ready. what, I'm ready all the time. Yeah. Live in the color, Dick Murdoch laid it on the line. When the Texas Outlaws came back together, that was nothing safe. That was not a man 
Now then, the Midnight Express. When I do with this dog color situation, let me tell you something, baby. If you still got them world tag team titles around your waist, me and the captain are gonna take them from you, baby. We go and oh, my lord. Did you see Mr. Bigelow, the beast from the east out here, telling Jim Garnett about his mama? Woo! About your mama, baby. You better look out. You better watch out. Because now then, the National Wrestling Alliance becomes awesome in the fall of 1988. And, and yes, 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 yes. Kevin Sullivan. Dog collar around your neck, a dog collar around my my neck, and the baddest dog of them all watching my back, Jack. And that's when it's funky like a monkey. All right, there you have it, fans. The American Dream, Captain Redneck, Dick Murdoch, Larry Zabisco. Please tell me, please tell me that you played this promo to the very end. Of course, which, which the, I, I, I couldn't Dusty figure out. Rose? There's no way no, we could that, describe what Dusty was doing there. We had no. to play it for the audience. At the end, that yes, yeah, yes, yeah. yes. That was he was <laughs> out of his mind, insane. At the end so of this weird. promo, like even by Dusty Rhodes standards, <laughs> he was just on another planet. And I'm not saying like he, this was a great promo. He was just. It was His weird. brain was operating in a different universe from the rest of us. So yeah, Rhodes and Murdoch back together. Now, you want to go from the charisma of Dusty Rhodes to the lack of charisma for Al Perez, another person who we do not care for on this podcast. No, Al Perez... Fresh off of his run as the world-class championship wrestling world, <laughs> world champion champ. in the, the moribund days of that territory. He's now here at least more correctly slotted as like a lower mid-card guy. We were promised going into the break before this, we were promised that it was going to be Al Perez teaming with Larry Zabisco. Instead, it is just an Al Perez singles match. He was awful in this match outside of his crazy canadian backbreaker spinning powerbomb move he just he had no instincts at all he he hits the guy with a german the guy can't keep the his shoulder down so the german suplex just ends he hits the canadian backbreaker airplane spin powerbomb he does it a second time but the guy's in the ropes. He doesn't make any effort to pull his opponent out of the ropes. He no. just looks confused. Well, he and then he, he looks like he, he goes and and goes for this pin with the guy in the ropes and looks at like the cameraman at ringside, like like he's doing the end of match pose yes. here. And 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 the ref's like, dude, he's in the ropes. I can't count this. It's ridiculous. Like, he he appears as though he does not know the rules of wrestling. And I'm pretty sure as someone who grew up on world class championship wrestling, it was the first wrestling I saw with my own eyes uh, as a three year old. I remember them enforcing rope breaks. You could not pin a guy in the rope. So Al Perez had just come from a territory as their world champion, the standard bearer. And he did not know that you could not pin a man while he was in the ropes. This was so strange. And then he gets the win with the Dory Funk spinning toehold. Yeah, the best part of this match is Gary Hart 
his manager at ringside, giving this sign for the spinning yes. toe hold. Like, while chopping on a stogie. While while having, yeah, his cigar. And he's just like, the way Gary Hart gives the sign for the spinning toe hold, best part of the match. Uh, yes. Yeah. It was no, no wrestler. No wrestler has ever needed a manager and a specific manager more than Al Perez needed Gary Hart. Yes, he defeated Trent Knight was the jobber in question here. Um, afterward, Gary Hart cuts a promo saying that uh, he's uh, that uh, Al Perez will be teaming with Larry Zabisco, who may or may not have been the Western States Heritage Champion oh, at this time. He was. Gary Hart. Pointed out, he is the he's the very prestigious Western States Heritage Champion, which I will hopefully I live to be into my seventies, into my eighties. I will probably on my deathbed think about how absurd the Western States Heritage <laughs> Championship was, particularly in a territory and a promotion that didn't run out west very often, and how even now in modern times, whenever a company introduces like one or three or ten too many titles. I always think, oh, that's their Western States Heritage title. <laughs> yes, this was uh, so they, they are going to go and compete for the vacant U.S. tag team titles. And at that point, the show goes off the air. Credits start rolling and we're done with an episode of NWA Pro Wrestling. Um, we should mention we didn't play the Gary Hart promo just because it's it's not bad. But there's just not a whole lot to it. He's no. he's trying to make you think that Al Perez and Larry Zbysko are a threat. But he also, I when I'm watching this and listening to this promo, I take it as Gary Hart knows sort of the credibility that he has as a manager of scary, imposing men. And I feel like he knows there's only so far he can go in really going hard on these guys being... Like, guys are going to hurt you. Guys are going to take you out. Guys you better be afraid of. It's Larry Zabisco and Al Perez. You're going to wrestle them. There's a good chance you're going to beat them, and you're going to move on. Yeah, very true. And, uh, yeah, with that, the show is over. This was an easy watch. Yes. Significantly easier than week one's TNA oh pay-per-view. Uh, and not just because it was one-third the length. You could take any one-hour portion <laughs> Of the TNA pay-per-view, Victory... Was it Victory Road? They're all no, Victory they're Road. All, no, it was still against all, all Odds. Victory Road. Yeah. TNA runs Victory Road every month. Uh, <laughs> against all odds, uh, 2008. Any one-hour segment of that show, there's no way it would be as easy to watch as this was. Like, there was, there was nothing amazing on this, nothing even approaching a good or great match, but it was just characters, Favorite mostly who you. were over, doing promos, doing squashes you had great announcers like my god not to constantly go back to the previous episode of this podcast but the <laughs> juxtaposition of mike Tanay and don west who i generally like but they're just incessant screaming on that show never letting anything breathe compared to jim ross and bob caudle who were great and got fired up when there were a few times to get fired up but otherwise like they were guiding you through an hour of professional wrestling and it just it just felt easy and i wasn't annoyed i wasn't exhausted i didn't feel like i needed uh, advil or xanax or a gummy at any point during the show 
it just was a good hour of pro wrestling and i was interested to see where things would be going if we were continuing to watch any of these six weekly nwa television shows favorite thing for you on this uh, on this episode Oh man, it's always hard for me, particularly on a show that there isn't a lot remarkable that happens on a show that prime Jim Ross is commentating. It's hard for me not to say Jim Ross uh, or Bob Caudle here, but I would honestly say the best thing on this show was like the first minute of the show. The with, open with JJ, Wyndham, and Sting. That was my yes. favorite thing, followed by Bam Bam Bigelow. Uh, on I, I would agree on both of those. And also a great Ric Flair promo that was like, for anyone else, any other wrestler in the business, that would have been the best promo of their life. <laughs> For Ric Flair, it it's was average. just it was just a Thursday in Winston-Salem or wherever this was taped. Like it was just a Ric Flair promo, but that was great. But yeah, I would say the the opening segment, everybody was awesome in it. Barry was great. JJ Dillon, maybe the most entertaining JJ Dillon we've ever seen, and that's a high bar. Uh, Sting being Sting, yeah, I, I enjoyed that. It set the tone uh, for a fun show. Worst thing on this show. Al Perez. Al Perez is always the worst thing on this show. And uh, I will also say the Louisville Slugger set. Yes. Yes. The chairs. The chairs were so bad. I I will say that I found something I find less interesting and more objectionable (laughs) than Al Perez. Yes. And it is those chairs. Al Perez is kind of my Greg the Hammer Valentine. But those chairs are worse. The other thing that's amazing as we get ready to close this out is that you could have a show that was so far on the opposite ends of the spectrum when it came to aesthetics. You had those chairs that those men sat in on that interview segment, but then you had the beautiful ring skirt, the apron uh, of this classic NWA look. Um, Yeah, they, they missed on that set and they missed on the lighting of that set. And with that, we're going to call it a podcast. Uh, the best way for you to interact with the show. And we love to hear from you, your memories of this stuff, uh, your things that, uh, you know, and no matter where you are in whatever season, send us a message. We love it. Uh, Twitter is the best way to do that at Wrestle at Random. Same for Instagram. The DMs are open. Um, go ahead and uh, send us an email if you stay off of social media. You can do that, wrestling at random at gmail.com. And of course, the best way to support this show, you can do it in two ways. One is uh, telling your wrestling fan friends about the show. Show them how to su- how to subscribe to a podcast. Uh, or go ahead and uh, if you really want to support the show, you become a patron of the show. And that's done at patreon.com slash wrestling at random or whatever paywall we're currently behind uh, at the time you're listening to this recording as this is always evergreen content. Uh, also, Apple Podcasts is another way you could get all of that bonus content right in the app if you're listening on your Apple Podcast app. It's right Super there. easy if you don't want to mess around with Patreon, if you don't want to worry about tiers, any of that stuff. If you, if you want to have everything all in the same place, if you're an Apple Podcast listener, just tap on the bonus content, subscribe, and then it's all there. And as you always say, when you do that, whether it be via Apple Podcasts or via Patreon, it immediately unlocks not just the most recent episode of the bonus feed, but every episode we've done up until that point. So let's say, you know, you want to support the podcast, you want to spend your five bucks, support us. You can do that. You can unlock all those shows, download them, and then maybe, you know, maybe, obviously we'd love to have you every month, but you could do that just for one month and get all that content if that's all you can afford. We don't mind that. We have no problem with that. 
Yeah, but what's going to happen is you're going to say, <laughs> hey, you know what? Uh, wait, there's another tier where you can request stuff. You can be the yes. randomizer. You can be the intentionalizer. Can and we actually, can you splice in right now, Dusty Rhodes, end of that promo, <laughs> just to say yes? Yeah. Just to emphasize this. Yes, you can. And you can uh, bump yourself up to the tier that allows you to pick a show, send us a message, tell us what you want us to watch. We watch it, we review it, and then you can bump yourself back down to that lower tier, continue to get all of that bonus content. Or and we will watch anything as long as it's minimum 10, 10 years, years. Yeah. as long as it's 10 years or older. That's the only it's the only caveat. That's the only guideline we have. Otherwise, it can be the best match you ever saw. It can be the worst show you ever saw. It could be the most obscure thing that you found that you want someone else to watch and you want to hear what someone else has to say about it because you're pretty sure you're the only person who's ever seen it before. All those things totally open, available, and we're, we're ready to watch. Yeah, we also have T-shirts available. I'm wearing one right now. You are. Wrestling at Random shirts are available. One of the... One of the only wrestling shirts that I feel is completely acceptable to wear in public. I've worn it to concerts at small clubs and dive bars and have never felt out of place, which honestly, that is probably the only wrestling shirt I own of the many that I do that I would feel comfortable um, wearing at a concert, on a date, any of those things, any of them. Yeah, so all those are ways to support the show. We appreciate it. We couldn't do it without each and every one of you helping us out, keeping the lights on. We come back to continue to do it and continue to grow this show thanks to you. So with that... You don't want... By the way, you said keep the lights on. You need to support the podcast. Otherwise, we might end up looking as dark and dingy as the Louisville Slugger segment. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> we won't have those chairs. No matter how, how bad no. things get, we will not have those chairs, but... Make sure, make sure you keep the lights on. And with that, we're going to wrap it up. Adam, thanks for joining us. Thank you, Jeremy. And thank you, NWA Pro from 1988 for uh, getting the taste of TNA, not Victory Road 2008, out of our mouths. This was much needed. We'll see what the randomizer has for us next week. I want to thank everyone for listening, and we'll talk to you again next time.